The gospel frees us for joyful and sacrificial servanthood that glorifies God and wins the lost. Text this morning is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. At this point, we usually pray. Not going to do that yet. I'm going to read this again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Still not going to pray yet. I feel like um, sometimes we can come in and uh, we get to the scripture reading, and we're we're, we're still not leaning in. Um, in our minds, we we realize we think, well, he's going to explain it, right? He's going to explain it. So if I'm not really engaged and listening. I mean, he's going to tell me what it says. But do I really believe, I'll, I'll tell you, I know um, whether I say anything to you or not, I, mean, I can do nothing to change your hearts. It's God's word. It's God's word that changes us. And so do we really believe as we're, as we're reading, I'm praying, I'm praying, man, I'm praying this morning that God will do something in us and that his word will change me. This word will change us. And so we're going to read this one more time. In fact, Randy, would you mind? I'm going to ask you to read it, okay? Um, and, and we're just going to lean in and we're going to listen. This is the word of the Lord, okay? We're going to lean in. We're going to listen. And then we'll get to the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your word, God. Thank you and help us, I pray. Help us. That we would hear from you today, God. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us? That we would be people who would say, with Paul, we have become all things to all people. That by all means, we might save some. We do it all for the sake of the gospel. Would you help us? Would you give us ears to hear and hearts that are attentive, Lord, to your word? We pray for it. We pray for it, God. We believe that you are able and that you do this work in people. So we ask you to do it today in Christ's name. Amen. Do you want to have a seat? The gospel frees us for joyful and sacrificial servanthood that glorifies God and wins the lost. This is what I mean. When I say that, okay, the gospel frees us. That's clear. Paul's been saying that as we've gone through chapter 8, chapter 9. Paul says, I'm free. I don't have to eat those things, and I can eat those things if I want to. 
I'm not bound by rituals. I'm not bound by those things. I'm not enslaved to sin any longer. I am free in Christ. The gospel frees us. And those who are truly free, joyfully and sacrificially serve so that God is glorified and people are saved. We may see this text this morning. We may look at it and just think, man... Paul is amazing. I mean, Paul's amazing, right? But he's an apostle. That's what apostles do. They are amazing. And so, it's great, Paul. It's great. All things. All people. All the time. Some get saved. That's great. You do it all for the sake of the gospel. But is this, is this really, like, is this possible for me, Paul? You know, the job that I have. You don't have five boys. You don't understand. You don't get it. If you had written the gospel or how to glorify uh, God with being the parent of five boys, then maybe that would be more appropriate for me. But this is, this is apostolic work here. This is apostolic stuff, becoming as a Jew to the Jews and as uh, one outside the law to those outside the law. And this is apostolic work here. It's not for us. Normal Christians. This is apostolic stuff. And I want to address that from the beginning. I want to deal with that. I want us to turn the page over to chapter 10, the end of chapter 10. Is that true? That this is apostolic work, or is this work and word through Paul for us now, today? Verse 31 of chapter 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Are you familiar with that verse? If for no other reason, you've heard me say it over and over and over and over again. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Now, let me just say, comment on those two verses quickly. Those two verses are a summary of everything we've been talking about in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul's just reiterating in two verses, I become all things to all people so that some people might get saved. So, like he's saying in chapter 9, 19 through 23, he says again in verses 32 and 33 of chapter 10, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so in case our flesh wants to to, to put Paul at another level and say, well, this is Paul work, this is apostolic work, But for us normal Christians living down here in the real world, it's not for us. No, no, no. Paul wrote. He wrote so that we would follow him because he is following the example of Jesus. The gospel frees us. And those who are truly free, not just apostles, joyfully and sacrificially serve so that God is glorified and people are saved. Verse 19 Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul says, I'm free. I'm free. In Christ, I am completely free. But what does he say? Though I am free, I make myself a servant of all. So you have this tension there, right? I'm completely free, but I've made myself a servant. I've made myself a bondservant. A slave is what that literally means. I have made myself a servant Why? So that I might win more of them. Now, every time he says that there, that I might win more of them, verse 19, that I might win more of them, verse 20, to win Jews, uh, that I might win those under the law, verse 21, um, that I might win those outside the law, that I might win the weak, verse 22, that by all means I might save some. When he says that, he means the same thing every time. It means to win them for Christ, to see them believe the gospel and submit to Jesus. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
Paul's a living example of that, isn't he? Laying down his rights and serving for the sake of the gospel. Is he free? Absolutely. How does he use his freedom? To serve. Why? So that God is glorified and people are saved. And why would Paul willingly do that? He willingly does that. I mean, it's clearly here he says, I have made myself a servant. Right? I mean, that's what he says. Willingly, I've made myself a servant to all. That I might win them. Or win more of them. Why does he do that willingly? Why is he willing to make himself a servant? I've made myself a servant of all. Why? Because he gets it. He gets it. He understands the implications of grace and gospel. He understands the implications of grace and good news. He gets it. He understands. He, 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 he knows that without the free gift of grace... He is eternally under the wrath of God. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to Ephesus. He says this in chapter 2, starting with verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. What wrath? God's wrath. So Paul understands, he gets it, he knows the implications of grace and gospel for his own life. Without the free gift of grace, he is eternally under the wrath of God. And so the result of understanding what he was and now who he is in Christ is gratitude and joy. See that so clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 12. I thank him, this is Paul, I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. He gets the implications of grace and good news in his life. Without grace, without gospel, he's still under the wrath of God. And the result of understanding what God has done for him, the result of that is absolute gratitude and joy in Christ. But he also understands that without the free gift of grace, others are under the wrath of God for all of eternity. He knows that. He understands that. In fact, he wrote to the Ephesians at the end of verse 3 that we just read, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That apart from the gospel, apart from grace, mankind will remain under the wrath of God. And he gets that. He understands the implications of grace and good news in his own life, and he understands the implications of grace and good news in others' lives. Without the gospel, they will be forever under the wrath of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we mentioned last week, verses 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will. I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. If I preach the gospel, I can't boast. Why? Because I know the gospel. Because I know the implications of the gospel. I know that the only hope for reconciliation between man and God is Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news of that is the only hope. And if I know it, then how could I boast in telling it? I mean, how could I not tell it? 
If I know and believe the gospel, then certainly I'm going to tell the gospel. But then he goes in verse 17. If I do it of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. Even if I don't want to tell the gospel, Paul says, I still know the gospel. I still understand the implications of the gospel, so I must, I must preach the gospel. I still have this responsibility, this stewardship, even if I don't want to, even if I don't feel the joy and the gladness and the thankfulness. Let me ask you, myself, I'm asking myself all of these questions today. How could we not preach the gospel if we believe the gospel? How, how can we not preach the gospel if we believe the gospel? If we could grasp what it would be like for someone to spend five minutes under the wrath of God, we would be forever changed. We'd never live the same. We couldn't. But that's not what we need. Because if we could just, if we could truly gaze and get a glimpse and see grace and gospel and see the implications of grace and gospel in our own lives and what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to and what it means that we are reconciled to the God of the universe, you have a relationship with God. And you have that relationship with God because His Son bore the wrath of God for you on himself and took your sin and nailed your sin to the cross. If we could gaze and and, and get it and understand the implications of the gospel, we will be forever changed. We can focus and say if we just could, if we could feel hell, if we could see hell, if we could experience or know what it would be like for them for five. No, 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 no. If we just experienced glory, what it really means to be in Christ, we will be forever changed. Paul understands. He gets the implications of gospel and grace. And so his gratitude results in willful laying down of rights. I'll give up whatever. I will not compromise the gospel. Paul, and we need to know this, okay? When Paul lays out this passage, he's not adding to the gospel He's not taking away from the gospel. The gospel, God's word, is uncompromised. He he doesn't compromise God's word. He doesn't compromise gospel. What he says is, I'll become all things. I'll gladly lay down my freedoms, my rights, for the sake of people hearing the gospel articulated. And so we don't want to become people from this passage who think, well, I want to gain a hearing, and so maybe I'll take this offensive part of the gospel away, and I'll just, I'll tell about Jesus. Jesus, he carries sheep, and he knocks on doors, and he smiles all the time. And so if you want to, if you want to have Jesus as your friend and be with someone who carries sheep and knocks on doors, you should f- come with me because Jesus is that. And we don't, we're not taking away and just painting this false picture of, or incomplete picture of Jesus. It's gospel. And Paul says in chapter 2, he's like, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's not taking away or adding to the gospel. It's the gospel clearly articulated. So there are only people who take away from the gospel. It was like a month ago, uh, it was like when it was 80 degrees outside. You remember that? It's awesome. Um, anytime that the boys are outside and the sun is out, we have a, uh, there's like a boy in first grade down the street. If that happens, the boys are out and the sun's out, he's always there. Um, it's fine. I mean, he's got blonde hair. He fits in. It's, <clears throat> we don't know. So but every time he's there, he comes down. He's coming to first grader. And uh, it was like a month ago. 
um, Sean is listening out the front door, and Sam, who's in first grade, um, this kid's in first grade, Silas, who's five, they're out there playing, talking, and uh, this first grader says to our boys, um, do you believe in God? I don't believe there is a God. Wow, first grade, okay? So Silas, in his um, gospel-centered well-articulated gospel five-year-old body responds to him saying that with this. He's going to throw you in some hot fire, dude. Okay? So, I'm not sure that encapsulates the gospel, right? I don't think first graders going home, man, I think he's right. I think he, I get it, right? I get the... I believe now, right? It's not, okay? He's not just sharing bits, pieces. He's gaining a hearing so that he can articulate the fullness and the greatness of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says to the Romans, because I know it's the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of it. He's not throwing out cliches. Paul lays down his rights so that he can clearly articulate the gospel to as many people as possible. Now, I want to I take a side note here, okay? Two things, okay? I, I almost didn't share the story about Silas, okay? And here's why. Because I know me and I know my flesh. And if I'm in a sermon like this, I know what I want to do. I want to leave the sermon and I want to think about the funny thing about Silas for the rest of the day. Anytime any tensions come up with the passage, it's like, man, but isn't that funny? What Silas, five years old, is that going to throw you some hot fire, dude? Ah, that's awesome. And Tony, that was so awesome. That was funny in the sermon. And I know my flesh. Listen, I don't tell you that to distract from the truth of this passage. I am praying that I will wrestle And I am wrestling to the core of myself over these verses. Do we believe the gospel? And do we see it as glorious? And do we see Jesus as great treasure in our life so that we must say with Paul, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Verse 20 goes on. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To the Jews, I became a Jew, or I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. In Christ, Paul is not bound by ceremonies and rituals and traditions anymore. He's free from that. But those things, they don't, lessen his spirituality and they don't add to his spirituality. If he does the ceremonies, if he does the rituals, he knows I'm no better in the eyes of Jesus and I'm no less in the eyes of Jesus. I'm saved by grace. And so what he means when he says to the Jews, I became as a Jew is this. If in certain circumstances, following those ceremonies, rituals and traditions will open to me a opportunity to present the gospel, I'll do it. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Paul is no longer under the law. He's under grace. But if it would gain a hearing for the gospel, he would become as one under the law. Now, what does that look like and what does that mean? Just quickly to give you some examples from his life in Acts 21, verses 17 through 26, when Paul goes to Jerusalem and James, and he meets with James, and James says to him, you know, It's great, everything with the Gentiles is great, but you know there's many, many Jews who have come to know the Lord here and they're hearing these things about you going to the Gentiles and they have a big, big issue. So here's what you should do. You should go with these four men and you should go through these rites, these Jewish rites, ceremonial rites. And why did he do that? He did it. Why did he do it? To gain a hearing for the gospel. Did him going through those things give him any more of a hearing to God? No. Did it give him any less of a hearing? No, but I'm willing, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win those under the law. 
Another example, Acts 16, when Paul goes to Lystra. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, Paul's already said in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Paul knew circumcision is nothing. It's not going to gain a hearing before God. It's not going to lessen spirituality. But if it will gain a hearing before people that they might hear the gospel who otherwise would not, they're offended and and not willing to listen to Timothy because he's uncircumcised, it's worth it. It's worth it. I sincerely, hear me out here, okay? I don't want this to be entertainment or joke. I just want us to get the weight of what Paul's saying, because we can can gloss through these verses and, okay, the Jews become the Jew, okay? It's one under the law, and we can kind of gloss through and not feel the weight of what Paul is saying. It's worth whatever, so that people might hear the gospel and someone might believe in Jesus. We just think a minute for what Paul is saying when he has Timothy circumcised, you know the weight of that? You want to feel, think about the weight of that for a minute? You just go to Genesis 34 where uh, you have Jacob's sons, right? The daughter, Dinah. Shechem, the people of the city, they come. Shechem defiles, or the son of Shechem defiles Dinah, right? Brothers are ticked. They come to uh, Jacob, would you give us Your sons and daughters, your sons can marry our daughters and our sons can marry your daughters. This is just going to be wonderful. The brothers are ticked. And so how can we can never do that? You're an uncircumcised people. We could never on one condition. We'll do it. That all of the males in your entire city be circumcised. So go back. People, men worth it they marry their daughters they marry our daughters this is going to be great look how they're blessed let's do it so they do it next verse three days later while they are still sore two of jacob's sons go in and kill all of the men of the city it's a big deal what he had Timothy do, okay? It's a big deal. When he says, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, he's not talking about as long as it doesn't hurt or as long as it doesn't mean anything, as long as I don't have to sacrifice, as long as I don't have to give up. He's saying anything, anything, Lord, anything so that people might hear you. He goes on in verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. The New American Standard says it this way, to those without the law. To those without the law, I became as one without the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those without the law. It probably gives us a, a little bit better picture, helpful picture of what he's meaning here. In other words, if, if Paul goes to a Jewish household and they only serve and eat certain kinds of food, Paul's not, not going to sit down and say, am I not free? I was hoping for bacon or something here. Did you know who I am? I'm Paul. I'm Paul. I go to the Gentiles. I'm not, am I not free? Can you help me out a little bit here? No, no, no. And if he goes to his Gentile neighbor's house and they don't wash their hands ceremonially, Paul's not saying, wait, 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 where, where are the purification jars? And, and, and don't you understand that if you eat like this, you're eating with unclean hands, and that's not good, and that's what the Pharisees did to Jesus, right? No, he's saying, no, no, no. I, I, I put myself aside. If he's going to his 
neighbor who is without the law's house and, and his family's there and they sit down and, and the neighbor and their family start eating. Paul's not, what are you doing? Don't you know our family, we pray before we eat. No, 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 Paul's like, I, I put myself down. I put, I'm serving so that others might hear the gospel. I'm not out to offend everyone. I want them to hear the gospel. If the gospel offends them, it's the gospel. But if it's me that's offending them, I'm putting myself aside. If it means I don't eat meat, I won't eat meat, whatever it is, for the sake of the gospel. Matthew Henry says this, he would not sin against God to save the soul of his neighbor, but he would very cheerfully and readily deny himself the rights of God he could not give up, but he might resign his own and very often did so for the good of others. Paul says, I put myself aside. I've become a servant of all so that they might hear the gospel. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. What does he mean by that? Under the law of Christ. Is Paul saying there that he doesn't have to obey any of the Old Testament laws? No. When we look to Jesus, he says he's under the law of Christ. So let's just look at Jesus and what did Jesus say? Jesus says in, in Matthew five seventeen, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right? And then after that, Jesus um, clarifies, some would even say expands the meaning of laws, right? You've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. I say to you, if anyone looks at his neighbor or, or hates his brother in his heart, then he's already committed murder in his heart. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if anyone looks at, at another with lustful intent, then he's already committed adultery in his heart. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, uh, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't reply and say commandments. Don't you know that I'm here now? There's no more commandments. He doesn't say that. He says, love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And he continues, remember? He says, for on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So in other words, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, you're going to obey those commandments that have to do with God. If you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, you're not going to covet. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to do those things that affect your neighbor. So Paul's not saying that there's no law. He obeys. He obeys. But he willingly and joyfully in obeying Christ does not bend on holiness. He's not bending on holiness to see people saved, but he's laying down his freedoms, his rights. And so when it says as without law, those without the law, it's not It's not meaning that Paul's gathering with those who don't know the law or who are outside of the law and and doing what they do in every area. So he's not gathering with those outside the law and and swearing and fitting in. And, and, you know, we get, I I want them to to know that I'm buddies with them. They can trust me, right? So I I talk the way they talk and, and I swear the way that they swear. We drink a lot, a lot. But the hope is the gospel. I want them to know they can trust me. They, no, no, no. That's not what Paul's doing. I don't bend on holiness. I, I just want them to hear the gospel so I surrender my rights. He says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak. If you're not at a place where you understand all that I'm telling you, Paul would say, I'll, I'll give it to you in bite-sized portions. I just want you to know the gospel. And then he says this, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. This is amazing. So I want to ask us, what are you willing to give up so that someone would hear the gospel? What are you willing to do so that someone would hear the gospel? Where are you willing to go so that someone might hear the gospel? Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, is Paul saying, does he believe by saying that, that he is the one that's saving people? No, not at all. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, the one who plants is nothing and the one who waters is nothing but God 
who gives the growth. He's everything. He doesn't think that he's the one saving them. He, he knows and he depends on the merciful and sovereign work of God to save people. But he also knows that God does that through the gospel. Always. God does that through the gospel. And so he writes to Romans, to the Romans in, in chapter 10, starting with verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed and what he has, excuse me, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul knows that. And so he knows it's not him saving, but he knows God uses the gospel to save. So he says, I become all, all things to all people so that they can hear the gospel. And so let me ask us, are we accommodating ourselves or are we seeking avenues of gospel conversations in our life? Do I believe, do I believe that the gospel is what God uses to save or am I just trying to be clever, adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel or doing unholy things to be liked by those outside of the law? Verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And let me ask, what are the blessings what are the blessings that those who hear and believe the gospel receive? Okay, just to think through, what is he saying here? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What are the blessings? Forgiveness, eternal life with Christ, salvation. We could go on. It seems like Paul is saying, I want to present the gospel to as many people as possible and see people saved so that I may share in its blessings, which are forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation. Now, I want to be careful here, okay? I want to be careful. Listen in on this, okay? Paul is not saying, and I'm not saying that Paul is saying, that he's sharing the gospel with as many people as possible as a means of working. So, as if God is watching him, and because he's impressed with how many people he's sharing the gospel with, well, then he gets to go to heaven. He worked his way to heaven. I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that here. But what it seems like is this. Tony, if you are not willing, and I dare say joyful, at least at some point in your life, to share the gospel with people, how do you know that you have truly believed the gospel? Charles Spurgeon said this, he who never seeks the conversion of another is in imminent danger of being damned himself. You may hear that and, and you may in your heart or even verbally respond, well, I don't like that. You're just trying to make me feel guilty. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I understand that there's, there's a couple things that pastors can preach on and just, I mean, they can bring, they can force guilt, right? I mean, giving, evangelism. Pastor can stand up. You guys don't share the gospel enough. What's wrong with you? You're idiots. Don't you understand? Go preach the gospel. That's not the point of this. I'm preaching this to myself. But I think Paul is saying what Spurgeon is saying. If we just think about it, wouldn't we honestly say that's clearly true? Do we see an alternative in the scriptures? Do we get to pick a person who's like us? Oh, man. I, yeah, Paul's good. But I like uh, Stephanus here. Uh, he loved the Lord with all of his heart and he just sat at home and never told anybody about it. Like, we don't get that option, right? I mean, if we're just honest, if we're honest, right? I, I don't, I str- I'm wrestling through this. We just think about what it is that we say that we believe. Think with me, okay? 
What is it that we say we believe? What is the gospel? A great picture of that is Philippians chapter 2. Starting with verse 5. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Pause there, okay? Why? To bear God's wrath that was meant for me. That's the gospel. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus came, made himself nothing, died for our sins. We believe that. But the response to that is, in believing, I'm believing who he is, which is Lord. And I know that every knee must bow to Jesus. And so believing in him is submitting to him as Lord. It's not not making Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of your life. Believing is just submitting to the truth. God made him Lord. I don't get that opportunity. It was already given. And so I'm submitting to the truth that Jesus is Lord. And so we have these two things working in this direction. One is we have been forgiven. God's wrath has been absorbed by Jesus. Grace has been poured out. We've been reconciled to God. And we're not special. We did nothing. There was nothing special about us. It's just God's grace. God is gracious. So the good news that saved us is able to save others. And I know, I know that that grace, if believed and if God is submitted to, if Jesus is submitted to as Lord, then my neighbor will be saved and be with Jesus forever. And so the result of knowing that is love. It's, it's joyful telling. Why? Because the gospel is wonderful news. It's wonderful to me. It's personalized in me. I believe what you've done, Jesus. And so submitting to you, I love to tell. I love to tell. I love to tell. But we have this second thing working in this direction. And that's this. I've submitted to Jesus as Lord. And so like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I must say, if it's not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. Even if I don't want to, I still must tell simply just to get down to bedrock, Jesus, I've submitted to you as Lord. And so I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That's what submitting to someone as Lord means. So I must preach the gospel because Jesus told me to. He says in Matthew 28 verse 19, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. We can shrink that down to this. I'm Lord. All authority in heaven and earth was given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Do it. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Why? Because I'm Lord. And you going, as you go, I will be with you, Jesus says. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? My prayer for us, for me, for you this morning is that we would believe the gospel. That we would believe it. That we would truly submit to Jesus. 
that we would truly love him and do what he has commanded us to do. That we would love our neighbor and tell them the wonderful hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that we wouldn't do it out of guilt. Honestly, honestly, I want you to hear this and know this. If you feel guilty right now, there's a good chance you won't do this unless you understand that your guilt and your shame my shame in presenting the gospel, my refusal to open my mouth, all of those sins were nailed to the cross. If you just walk out of here feeling guilty, not realizing Jesus died for that too. He's forgiven me for that too. And that those sins were nailed to the cross just as much as every other sin. And we don't, we don't realize that 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 guilt should lead us to repentance, that godly guilt, is, as Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, godly guilt is meant to lead us to repentance. And what leads us to repentance is the realization that, God, I am a sinner. And that that, that guilt was nailed to the cross, and that should just magnify our love for him more. That's... That's more sin in your life. Gone. Guilt. Gone. That is what will lead us to proclamation of the gospel. And so that's why I'm praying that we would believe the gospel this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a time of communion. In communion, 1 Corinthians um, 11, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, as we take the bread and the cup together, we're proclaiming the death of Jesus until he returns. As often as we do that, we're proclaiming the death of Jesus until he returns. And so here's, here's what I want you to do, okay? They're going to wait until the song starts before they pass it out. I want you to listen, okay? Here's what I want us to do together, me you, as they're passing these out, as we sing the song, I want us to pray. I want us to fervently pray as people of God. And let's pray together that we proclaim the death of Jesus. And as we do that, that we will continue to proclaim as we leave this place, that us proclaiming this together as the body will just be the beginning and we will continue to proclaim it until he comes. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17 says that communion is a participation in the body and blood of Jesus. And so as we take it, as we hold the bread and we hold the cup, that we would, we would pray earnestly that we truly participate in the body and blood of Jesus today. That the glorious truth of the body and blood of Jesus, the gospel would seep into the deepest darkest parts of our heart, those places where we refuse to let things go, that it would seep in and that we would really, truly participate. Let's ask God fervently to show us the things that we've been unwilling to give up. Let's, let's ask Him to show us the things we've been unwilling to do. And as we pray, that we pray first, Lord, for me, God, for me and you pray for you and then just go out from there your husband or your wife or your kids that are sitting with you and then whoever it is is sitting in front of you and next to you and that we just pray for the body of Christ that that we would truly participate in the gospel through this this morning and that he would reveal himself to us and that we would get it so that we would leave here people who would say with Paul I get it Lord I get it you you did that for me And so I will become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, Lord. Let's repent. Let's obey the Lord and let's rejoice in the salvation that proclaims to us you are forgiven. You're clean. You're saved. Let's pray, Father, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your grace. 
I pray for your help, Lord, that your word would impact us and change us right now, God. Lord, with the distractions of my voice and, and other things, God, I'm so grateful that we're not dependent on those things. Lord, we need your spirit right now. We are desperate for your spirit. If, if your spirit does not plant the word into our hearts, it doesn't matter how short or long we're here. It doesn't matter how loud or quiet the speaker's voice is. It doesn't matter. We need your spirit right now to change us, God. We need, we need to be awakened to the implications of grace and gospel. We need to see, we are desperate to see how great this gospel is and all that we have in Christ. So would you help us in this time, Lord, as we, as we hold the bread, as we hold the cup, would you help us? Would you help us to be fervent in our praying? Would you search our hearts, Lord? Would you examine us and show us where we are unwilling to lay things down for the sake of the gospel, where we are unwilling to do things so that others might hear the gospel? Would you show us where we are unwilling to go places so that others might hear the gospel? And would you bring true repentance? Would you fill us with the truth of grace and forgiveness? Spirit, would you fill us with yourself that we would love like we've never loved before, you, God, and others? So that by all means, we might save some for your glory, God. In Christ's name, amen.